You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Aaron Lowry, a.k.a. Broke Millennial, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Bonnie Koo. I blog at Miss Bonnie MD, and this is the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, this is Carrie Reynolds MD from the Hippocratic Hustle podcast, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have the question today is, what have we reached gender equity in our financial lives? And we have three high-wage earning women with us to comment on that subject. I'm going to give each of them a chance to give us a quick introduction, and then we're going to dive right into the conversation. So, Bonnie, do you mind going first and giving us an introduction? Sure. I'm Dr. Bonnie Koo. I'm a dermatologist. I blog at MissBonnieMD.com and my blog is geared towards high-earning women professionals and women physicians. Well, thank you for coming out and I'm looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts on the question. Erin, how about you? Can you give us a quick intro, please? Hi, everyone. I am Erin Lowry, author of Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. As the name implies, wasn't such a high earner when I started out, but I've gotten there. However, I'm looking to help other broke millennials get there themselves. Wonderful. Looking forward to that. Carrie, how about you? Quick introduction and we're going to dig into this. Hey, I'm Carrie Reynolds from the Hippocratic Hustle podcast and I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist and I have a podcast that helps women and physicians find freedom in life, work and finances. So Carrie, I actually want to start with your podcast because I was listening to the other day to an episode you did with Dara Cass. And she said something that really struck me. She said that women describe themselves, they say, I am a this and a that. And for instance, I am a doctor and a mother, or I'm a lawyer and a wife. And I realized that men just don't do that. (laughs) Interesting. Women feel like they have to go a step further when they're talking about their career. Yeah, I think that definitely women have to do that because traditionally women were the caretakers of the children and the cooks and the managers of the household. And we still feel like we still need to wear that hat. And so we have to still label ourselves like that. And it's it's hard not to. Yeah. Bonnie, you had a baby not so long ago. Do you feel that crush of responsibility of maintaining both your professional life as well as being the perfect mother? 
No. But, you know, I have a very supportive partner and I learned early on that outsourcing is a wonderful thing and not to feel guilty about it. So that has helped a lot. Aaron, it seems like when you came out of college, you were dating your boyfriend at that time, your current husband, and it sounds like he was going towards a teaching career. And you at that time had studied journalism and theater, so your career pathway was not as defined. And I imagine at that point, if you thought about getting married, you probably thought he was going to be the main wage earner at some point. Things have changed with you. You've gotten busier. You've taken on not only a professional career, but also have written books and have your website, Broke Millennial. Did things change between you when your wage possibilities reversed? No, because I've always out-earned him from the beginning. So even though, yes, I studied journalism and theater, which tend to be low-paying, he was an undergrad. He's younger than I am. So he was an undergrad while I was out in the quote-unquote real world earning money. And then he went and got his master's degree. So he still was in college. And during that whole time, I was building a career. So at no point has he actually earned more than I have. I also will say, because his earning potential was pretty pegged to a certain criteria, even though we're in New York City. So of teachers, public school teachers, he gets paid pretty well. I always knew I was going to have to bring home the money. Carrie, is it awkward when the woman's earning potential is more than the man's or is that normal nowadays? I think it's becoming more normal for sure. In my household, however, my husband earns more than I do. So I make it a personal goal to try to out-earn him. I don't know. It's just kind of like one of those things that I just want to achieve someday. And I'm on my way to do that. So just one of my own personal goals that really isn't here or there. It's not really a big deal, but it's just something fun to work towards. I think too, it's really interesting about that and this idea of, I think sometimes it gets skewed as women emasculate men when they out earn them. I think what actually tends to be quote unquote, the issue is when there's just a paradigm shift. And I've actually talked before about the fact that if all of the sudden he started out earning me, I think I would struggle with that because I've always been the primary breadwinner. And whatever implications you want to say that brings to the table, for us, it doesn't necessarily bring up a gender dynamic, but it does definitely, there is some sort of power balance there. And I hate to say that it exists, but it does. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that when I've said that out loud to my husband, he didn't like it very much. Bonnie, does that same power dynamic exist with you guys? I mean, you're both physicians, right? How would it feel if the wage earner changed from the high wage earner from one partner to the other? So Matt's not a physician. He works in entertainment. And funny timing because he actually got laid off a month ago. So he's not working. So he's bringing in zero income. And we actually decided that he is not going to go back to work. How will his responsibilities change in the household once he's not working? Luckily, he enjoys certain things like doing laundry, which is amazing. He loves to cook. I love to cook too, but it's harder for me to do that since I still work as a dermatologist. But we've actually decided to bring him on to help me with my website business. So I think he's going to be really great for building my brand because it's gotten to a point where I can't do everything myself and I need to hire some help with that. I think it's tough for two parents to have two big careers and have a family. It's obviously not impossible. Many people do that. But I do think there's a give and take. And I think right now we decided we kind of wanted more time as a family and it kind of wasn't working for us to have two big careers. Aaron, let's talk a little bit about big careers. In one of your blog posts, you said something to the effect of, I'd like to take a moment to appreciate my boyfriend, this was before you were married, who is confident enough to be okay with me picking up tabs and encourages the notion that I may be the long-term breadwinner. 
it's funny that you kind of say, I'd like to appreciate that, but should it even be a conversation? Shouldn't it be a given in today's society that a man or woman should accept someone else's wage earning potential? It would be a given if we didn't have to be having this podcast conversation about it. So hopefully we get there. And I think doing things like this do push us towards that point. But I've even noticed a shift in my own experience. We've only been married about eight months at this point, six, eight, probably eight months by the time this is airing. And I've even noticed the way sometimes people react to what I say publicly in the sense of they're like, well, you're married now, so you have more income in the household. Well, actually, it's the same amount of income. We're just married. So there's sort of different implications of how we handle our money because we do handle things jointly. That has been a very interesting reaction. I will say I'm so deeply thankful for his benefits package and that I have better health care. I did joke a lot that I'm self-employed and how did I get health insurance? I got married. I turned 30 <laughs> this year, so I would have been kicked off the catastrophic plan. I wish we were at that point, but I don't think we are yet. And it's also very indicative to me in the fact that sometimes when I talk about this, people tell me I'm emasculating him by even talking about this in the first place. So that to me indicates that we're not there yet. Carrie, what do you think? I mean, do you think we're getting closer? A lot of times I talk about the difference between equality and equity. So when we talk about equality and we talk about wages, we're talking about can men and women make the same amount of money. But when we talk about equity, we're talking a lot more about can men and women both get what they need out of the workplace. So sometimes I feel like we're getting closer to equality, but not necessarily to equity. I think a lot about this when I think about women who take FMLA for having a baby, for instance, and how difficult it is to come back and all that pressure to come back and then all the stress they feel if they want to breastfeed while they're continuing their career. And sometimes I wonder, even if we talk about that pay gap and we're getting closer, maybe we're still not really giving women in the workplace what they need. What do you think? Well, I think we still have a long way to go with the pay gap. There is no place in the United States where women make more money as a physician. So we still have a long way to go there. And I, so I think that's one of the first steps. I don't know if we can achieve both at the same time or if we need to achieve one before the other. I mean, we have a lot to aspire to because you look at some of the European countries and their maternity leaves and their benefits packages that help support families in general. So that doesn't even just support women, that supports families. And I think people forget that maternity leave and parental leave, actually, more often it's parental leave and it's not maternity leave, that time that people can split between the husband and the wife or whichever partner, between two partners, they can split that time so that everybody has a chance to help raise the child and um, and support the family. So I think actually that is a very family-friendly situation and, and not even just for gender equality, just for families in general. Bonnie, this still brings me back to that question then. So it seems like one of the big problems with the pay gap, at least of women of childbearing age, is that the process of having children and what that does to your career actually can strongly affect how people get paid long term. But again, that makes me wonder, is this more of an equity issue? It's not that women don't have the possibility to make as much as men. It's that we don't give them complete equity in the sense that we don't give them what they need, which is a reasonable family medical leave that includes both men and women and doesn't cause them to forfeit their place in the workspace. Do you think that the pay gap has to do with maternity leave or is there something deeper going on there? I think it's multifaceted. I mean, the fact that we can have children definitely affects our ability to produce 
just thinking about me as a physician. So I work strictly in collections, which means I only bring home what I make. So if I don't see patients, I don't make money. So I get a strict percentage. So obviously if I'm not working, I'm not going to bring home any money. Now I was on maternity leave at my last job when I was on faculty working for a large hospital. So they had a paid maternity leave policy in place, although we're talking six weeks, which is really nothing compared to the rest of the world. But I think it's more than just a maternity leave. So for example, I just think patients have different biases towards women as a physician. And I find that patients are more likely to write a bad review towards a woman than a man. I think where there's sort of different standards for women than men. In some ways, we kind of say, oh, sexism is mainly by men, but it's a lot of women are also sexist towards women. So I think all that kind of plays together personally. Aaron, this is an interesting question. I mean, in the workspace, we're talking about the medical workspace with Bonnie, but in the rest of the world, do you think that people look at men and women equally in the sense of the ability to get the job done, or are we still not there yet? I don't think we're there yet. Now, obviously, there's a huge caveat of it depends on the field. But one thing I find really interesting is if you look at what would be, quote unquote, traditionally female dominated environments, they tend to also be drastically underpaid. Teaching being a great example. Teachers are notoriously underpaid. And interestingly enough, most administrators, which are the more well-paying jobs in education, tend to be dominantly men. Public relations, another very female dominated environment also very underpaid compared to what they're doing and the hours that are demanded of them. I think that that's part of the consideration here is to look at how women are being paid when women are the dominant factor in that particular workforce. Carrie, I'd like to transition a little bit. On this podcast, we have three professional women and you guys are all high wage earners. Is work-life balance a myth? Is that something we can aspire to? Or for today's high-income earning woman, is that possible? I think it probably does depend on your profession, but physicians, you know, historically and classically work really hard. We work long hours, and so we as physicians are pretty used to that. I, like Bonnie, like to outsource as much as possible. So I think that's the secret to managing that work-life balance and to really chisel out time for family and to really think about that and put a focus on it and make sure that it happens because you definitely can get wrapped up in your work and ignore the family and, and miss out on a lot of opportunities and neglect that side of your life. I totally agree with that. And I also believe that it's quality, not quantity. That's a big part of what the focus needs to be when we think about work-life balance. It depends on your career, but if you definitely consider screen time for so many of us and that we're constantly connected to our jobs and people can constantly be getting in touch with us and just putting your phone away and having an uninterrupted dinner where neither one of you are checking your phones, I think that that's a huge way to also be bringing that back in. Bonnie, when you were talking about in your blog outsourcing and getting help, you kind of jokingly said, I you know, hired a part-time wife. And I'm interested why you said part-time wife. You didn't say I hired extra help. You didn't say I hired another husband. You said I hired a part-time wife to do what it sounded like more domestic chores. Was that on purpose? Totally. So this is before things just shifted recently, but there was a point in time where, you know, I was working, I'm still working as a dermatologist four days a week, you know, spending a lot of my free time on the website. And then Matt was, he was working like 80 hours a week. And Jack, my son's in daycare. And basically I was home alone a lot of week, a lot of weeknights and weekends. But when you have a 17 month old, you know, it's a lot of work. So I needed a break too. So basically I was like, I can't be working, taking care of Jack at night, giving him a bath, making all of his food. 
doing the laundry. Like it just kind of became unsustainable and I wasn't happy. So I jokingly said I hired a part-time wife to do sort of traditional wife things. So this lady was magical. She would come in, she'd empty the dishwasher, put it all away. She kind of cleaned up all of Jack's toys. Like I came home to a clean home and mentally that just felt super calming. So I'd like to dig a little deeper on this idea of outsourcing because I'd like to peel back some of the details as to what you actually mean by outsourcing. I think it was Carrie first that said that you also like to outsource. Can you explain that further? Yeah, I have a nanny for my daughter and she's actually a little bit on the older side. She's nine. We do need some before and after school care, especially when I'm traveling. But my nanny is amazing and she, like Bonnie's helper, empties the dishwasher. It's so dumb, but it's like such a nice thing to have that stuff just taken care of for you. And also having someone who can look at your house and just like tidy things and just make things a little bit more neat and just kind of like really just arrange your life. That's what I mean. It's just really amazing. Aaron, as you hear Carrie and Bonnie talk, I believe if I read correctly at some point, you probably will have children. Have you and your husband discussed what's going to happen when you get to that point? Do you think your husband will do more domestic work, especially as you get busy, or do you think you'll outsource? How do you think you'll manage that change in life? We actually do outsource a decent amount. We live in New York City. We don't have an in-unit washer dryer like most people who live in New York City. So we've been outsourcing our laundry for a long time having it come back folded. So all we have to do is put it away is wonderful. And we also kind of play around with those meal preparation kits. So it's just one less thing for us to have to think about during the week. And then it also maximizes the time that we can spend together. I would say another myth that I believe people hold is that in marriage, there's always some sort of magical 50-50 split. 100% is not what happens. And that was some of the best advice I ever received before I got married is that there's going to be ebbs and flows. And at certain points, one of you is shouldering more than the other. Hopefully over the course of your relationship, it kind of all equals out, but you never know. And I think for me, that's been a huge thing is that when I'm in really high stress times, I basically outsource my life to him. He handles all the domestic things when I'm in a very high stress environment situation. Like right now I'm getting ready with my book tour and book launch and all of that. He's handling dinner and I basically just just say, I don't want to have to think about it. Whatever you put on the table is fine, but I don't even want to get asked what I want to eat because it's one mental thing that I just can't deal with at the moment. So to your question about kids, we'll figure it out when we get there. But we already have talked about the fact that obviously... He's still going to need to work because we need his benefits. I bring in a lot of the money. So neither one of us is probably stepping out, at least not in the beginning. Probably means either a nanny or daycare. We'll figure out sometimes nanny shares. We'll see when we get there. I want to say that I love what you said, Aaron, about it's not 50-50. In fact, someone told me that if that's how you look at your marriage, you're, you're going to be very unhappy. And someone said it's really 100-100. So that kind of reminded me of that sort of quote. I also want to say just regarding outsourcing. So it's also definitely decreasing mental load, like you just said, but also it just gives me back time. And time really is truly our most precious resources. And I just feel like I don't want to spend time on things I don't want to spend time in. And then I, I feel like every week or every month, I'm sort of working on what can I spend my time on that truly makes me happy. Obviously, you still have to do things that you might not want to do, but I think that's something I'm always working towards. Yeah, I think a lot of times there's a lot of mom guilt when you are outsourcing because you feel like you should be doing it all and you should be providing for everything, you know, everything that your child needs, everything that your family needs. But I really, really, truly believe it takes a village. It is never in history has there really been a time, unless you maybe are pioneers out on the, out on the prairie where there's no one else, 
never has there been a time where there's not other people helping. Traditionally, there'd be maybe grandparents or you know, a lot of people from the village around you. So we need to create our own village. And my nanny is part of my village. Erin, as Carrie says this, I think a lot about this aspect of being a superwoman. And I think the professional woman of today sometimes feels like they have to be a superwoman. And mommy guilt is a big part of it. And a perfect example seems to be that if a child gets sick and a professional woman has to leave the office and go pick them up at school, people make faces at that. On the other hand, if a man is cutting out work early to go to his daughter's soccer game, people pat him on the back and say, that's being an involved father. Is this something we're still dealing with today? I would say yes, speaking as a woman who doesn't have children. And I'm going to actually bring that to the fact that I didn't change my name. And I still get questioned about that decision. But I know that when he makes decisions that seem feminist, he gets snaps for it and applauds for it. Snaps by it, meaning applause, not negative. So he gets a lot of praise for any time that he's doing something that kind of helps push any sort of gender equality, gender equity move forward. And I think that that's always a very interesting way to look at it. And also the fact that, for instance, when I made it very clear I was keeping my name after marriage, one of the big questions was, well, how are you going to feel when your name doesn't match your children's? And I said, who says it won't? So it's very interesting to me that we still default to all of these old traditional ways of doing things. That also makes me think a little bit about you did a post about getting financially naked with your partner. And in it, you mentioned that your husband was coming into the relationship with debt and you weren't. And didn't you get some negative feedback about that? Like you were putting him down because he had debt and you didn't? I get negative feedback for a variety of reasons when I talk about that. First of all, it's important for me to say anytime I discuss our relationship, he always gets an okay beforehand. So he gets to okay anything that I put out into the world because it's his relationship too. And to me, that's just a sign of respect. So even coming onto something like this, I know what the boundaries are of what I can and can't share in our relationship and in our marriage. I would also say it's important to recognize that a lot of times, especially for millennials, at least one party is going to have to have debt. It's not putting someone down to discuss the fact that it exists as long as the person's okay with you bringing it up and in the context in which you're bringing it up. I just wanted to say, you know, I'm not married, but I don't plan on changing my name when we do get married. And I thought really long and hard about how we'd name our son because I wanted my name there too. And I'm also Korean, so my mom's like, oh, you should put a Korean name in there. And I didn't want him to have two middle names. So I settled with my last name as his middle name. Bonnie, on that same idea, it seems like you blog a lot about things that can be controversial. You talk about prenups and you talk about being domestic partners and not getting married. Do you get a lot of blowback for those conversations? Sometimes. I think it depends on the person's values and religious values, for example. So I think those that are more religious, you know, particularly Christian, it's just different to them. I wouldn't say they think it's wrong. I mean, maybe they do think it's wrong, but I guess they don't really separate the marriage from the religious aspect. And I really speak about marriage as being a legal contract. And I'm not particularly religious, so, but we do plan to get married. We're just sort of delaying it for some other reasons. Yes, for prenups. Thank you very much for talking about it as well. I am very vocal about the fact that I have one. I have been very honest and open and in the media talking a lot about prenups and the fact that I think they're incredibly important. And the reason is because this is a legally binding contract. No other time in my life would I be expected to enter a legally binding contract without protecting myself. 
marriage is about love and respect and building a strong foundation on trust. But at the end of the day, it is also still a merger of assets you need to protect yourself. And that to me is such an important thing to be discussing and be open about. To the religious point, yeah, it's that there's not really much separation between the religious marriage and the actual state government related marriage. So I know in the Catholic Church, for instance, you're not supposed to have a prenup if you get married in the Catholic Church for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Namely, they feel like you aren't respecting the sanctity of the marriage. And my point is, heaven forbid we got divorced. It's not the Catholic Church that's dictating how our assets are being split up. It's the government. Last point, everyone has a prenup. It's just the default laws of your state. I say that a lot too. You've agreed to one whether you think you did or not. Absolutely. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. 
That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, I was about to comment on that is we had a previous episode that talked about this a little bit. And one of the points that was brought up was uh, prenups are a very good idea. However, they don't really solve for assets as they grow post-marriage. Have you thought about that as well? I have. You can get a post-nup for one. So that's an easy way to solve for it. We actually, for certain sections of our prenup, have wording in there that we will need to go back and get a post-nup in certain sections. Otherwise, certain measures void particular sections. I know I'm being really vague, but this is one of those things where we have boundaries about what I actually talk about with specifics. And I would say that's a post-nups are an easy way to solve for it. The other thing is, what is your mentality about what your prenup is doing? For a lot of folks, it's meant to be protecting the assets that you accumulated prior to the marriage. Oftentimes, the assets that you grow during the marriage, you are going to split 50-50. For me personally, one thing that I am comfortable talking about is it also protects in the instance of a divorce, I still own my brand, I still own the books, any royalties that come to me post a divorce are mine and mine alone. So it is still solving for the before and the after, everything in the in-between would be a 50-50 split. I'd like to transition a little bit. We've been talking about some of the more difficult aspects of being a woman in the workplace, but are there benefits of being a woman in a high-wage earning job? This is a really kind of rah-rah sisterhood answer, but honestly, it's important to have representation and you need to see people who represent you in places of power. And so if I, for anyone, can be some sort of representation of this is achievable, I can be doing this, then to me that that's a level of success. I think what women have going for us is that we have a lot of social media presence that I don't know if this is the same in other professions, but in the medical world amongst physicians, it seems like there is way more social support on the internet for women than there are for men. And I I kind of feel bad for my husband, who is also a physician, and he just doesn't have that medical community, that backup and that rah-rah sisterhood (laughs) that I think we find amongst women. So I don't know. I guess that's kind of unique. I don't know, Doc G, if you have run into that in social media and amongst men. I don't know. I've seen that the women in the community, so I've been in the medical blogging community since about 2004, 2005, and personal finance just in the last year, year and a half. I've seen that communication tends to be better with women bloggers, which I think leads to better support within that group. And so right now we have an epidemic in medicine and maybe in more than just medicine with burnout. And I think the more and better you communicate and form your own communities, the better you do. And so I think the stereotype, at least of women, is that they tend to do that better. And I've certainly seen some evidence of that on the internet and in the communities that I've been part of. So I think there's something to that. So you mentioned burnout, and that was one of the things we were wanting to talk about. But what's weird is I don't get the sense that any of you ladies are actually burned out yet or ever. You aren't on the path to burnout. Am I projecting that incorrectly, Carrie? Well, I am not burned out because I have made choices in my career to practice the way I want to practice. And so that's really helped me fight burnout. And I know a lot of people don't have that choice or they don't realize that they have that option. That's one thing that I talk about a lot in my podcast and with all the interviews of the women that I interview on the show is that I have found and that my guests have found other ways to either practice medicine or practice a hobby that helps them fight burnout. So I found my own way to fight it. So I don't know if, did you see that video from Dog a few days ago about burnout? I highly recommend uh, both of you guys to check it out if you haven't. It just came out on Friday. 
So he kind of gives a different definition of burnout. You know, I feel guilty for saying that I might be burned out as a dermatologist. I feel like there's this vision that we have a great life and we don't work that hard. We still bring home a lot of money. But, you know, we deal with a lot of the same issues other physicians are. Because we are a high volume outpatient specialty, we get a lot of bad patient reviews and patient demand. So I definitely have been feeling, and I'm only three years out now, I think burnout's a strong word, but maybe a little disillusioned here or there. You know, I can't take care of the patients that I want to or give the care that I would love to because unfortunately we're all sort of dealing with, you know, the bottom line. So I find that doing this website is helpful for that and kind of focuses my creativity in other areas. Yeah, Bonnie mentioned Z-Dog MD and his take on it is that it's not burnout, it's moral abuse. And I think that's a really great way to describe it because as he he explained it, and I, I totally agree with him, is that we as physicians have been trained and we have in our blood a desire to help people. And when we can't help people because there's a electronic medical record that's in between us and our patient, we can't talk to our patient directly, or when we have to deal more with billing than we do with our patients, then that makes it difficult to do what we have been called to do to help patients. So I think that's a great distinction between burnout and moral abuse. And I bet this happens in other professions too, where you're trying really hard to do what you really want to do, what you know you should do, but there's a lot of factors that kind of are fighting you to do that. It's interesting too on this discussion. I'm self-employed, so there's also that element of scarcity mentality that comes into play a lot. At the beginning of almost every new year, for the last three years as I've been self-employed, I have a pretty close to panic attack feeling about what the new year is going to bring and this idea of can I replicate this? Can I do it again? There is a lot of pressure on me to earn money because my husband's salary cannot cover all of our month-to-month living expenses. We do live in an incredibly expensive city and he is a teacher. So yeah, there's a lot of burden there, but I would also say on the burnout side, I tend to, and this is very self-inflicted, I blitz things and I go so hard and set the standard so high for myself that by the time whatever project I'm working on is done, I need to unplug. So that usually is me going on vacation and completely disconnecting for a period of time in order to have that sort of rejuvenation to come back. It's a luxury that I have as someone who is self-employed, not certainly a lot of people do not have that option. But on the flip side, I am pretty much in a constant low-grade state of worry about whether or not I'm going to earn enough money month to month in order to sustain my lifestyle. Bonnie, I'm interested in what Aaron just said. And the reason why is that male physicians in particular, I think, feel that same way. They're worried if they'll be able to keep up their professional credibility and make enough money to, you know, quote unquote, lead the family. Both you and Carrie were talking about being able to make your career into a work-life balance in a way that fits well for you. Do we allow men to do the same thing? Is it okay for a man to say, I'm going to leave my very commanding job as a physician and go part-time? Because I think a lot of men feel like they can't do that. I've been reading that the millennial men want work-life balance too. It's not just women. And so I actually think the millennials sort of change that and make it sort of okay for both genders to ask for that. I think that's important. I am very hopeful that that's going to happen. There's two things about that. One, and kind of to the point of you slightly calling out Bonnie earlier about saying she had a part-time housewife, I sometimes say that I feel like a 1950s husband in the sense of I have all of this slightly self-imposed anxiety about paying the bills and upkeeping our life in a way that I think you see like a Don Draper-esque character being portrayed. 
Now, one thing that I get a little irked by in terms of the millennial men saying that they want sort of a similar experience is that a lot of times you will hear them say some version of, well, I'd love to be a stay-at-home dad. And I think the way that it gets phrased really undermines the work of women who choose to be a stay-at-home parent. It's not a cushy, easy job that I think a lot of people kind of position it to be that way. I would love if people do have the option, though, to pursue other endeavors if their job isn't fulfilling, if they need to pivot, but that usually requires having a two-income household and for the other partner to be able to shoulder the financial burden, coming back to this idea from earlier about it's never being a 50-50 split. Yeah, in my household, with my husband being a surgeon, he's in a profession that really has a high rate of burnout. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I want to make more than him someday. One of my goals is to make more than him so that he can cut back because I don't think he's going to be able to keep going full steam ahead like he is right now. And I hope at that time when he can cut back, that he'll be willing to cut back and won't feel, you know, that society says that he shouldn't. I want him to be able to have that freedom that I have found in quitting my job and doing my own locum tenens, which is traveling and being an independent contractor. And I think it's an incredibly important point that we also have to support men who elect to do that because there aren't the same support systems in place for men who decide to be a primary caregiver or a stay-at-home parent because it is traditionally a women-dominated environment. So there also has to start to be parity there in order to allow for men to feel comfortable stepping out. Aaron, do you think this is different for the millennials? You kind of mentioned that before. And I'm wondering, do you think the millennial couples will face these same equity issues? I would say so. I mean, you're already seeing that plenty of millennials are well into childbearing years and starting families, might be slightly on the younger end, but we are starting to push 40 as a generation. I think that often gets forgotten. So yes, I think that we will continue to kind of struggle with it because while we might be slightly different than you know Gen X and certainly than baby boomers, we still had a lot of men who were reared with the very traditional gender norm environment, and that's what they feel they're supposed to do. Bonnie, we talk about that gender norm environment that Aaron just brought up. I feel like women are less likely to ask for help. I feel like they're just going to take care of it. Is that a fair statement? Well, among women physicians, that's definitely true. And I think that's why a lot of us kind of go a little nuts when we become moms because we feel like, oh, you know, we're type A, we're sort of control freaks. And not only can we do it, only we can do it perfectly. And so I think a lot of us actually have a hard time outsourcing because we know we can do it better. And part of outsourcing is kind of being okay that someone else is going to do it probably not up to your standards, but that also means you won't have to do it. Carrie, do you think that feeling that Bonnie's talking about, is that self-imposed or is that society imposed or both? Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Bonnie's right. We are type A. We have always done everything to perfection and raising children is no different. So let's bring this conversation back around to its original genesis, which is, have we reached gender equity in our financial lives? I think it's obvious that we haven't. And I recently read a article about the projections that where we're going to be by the year 2050. And they had all these things about what we're going to do by then. But they said the one thing that we are not on projected to do by that time and anywhere close actually is having gender. And they use the word equality. We're using the word, word equity. If you use the word equity, who knows how long, but the projection for gender equality in the US was something like 2150. That's a long way away from now. Why are we so bad at this? What can we do about it? This conversation is a start, but as a society, we are way behind the curve on catching up with other developments. 
Aaron, do would you mind jumping on that first? Well, that's the multi-billion dollar question, probably. If I had an easy answer to that, I probably would be so fire right now. <laughs> I honestly think a big part is the reluctance to put social and government programs into place to support women, men, and families to make it possible to reach that kind of equity and equality in a shorter period of time. And you have to look at maternity and paternity general family leave as a huge part of that. And the fact that we as a developed nation have one of the highest mother mortality rates, and I'm not the physician on here, so I'm sure everyone else can speak to it, is incredibly distressing. Oh, yeah. Right. We need to take care of our women for sure. Well, also the cost of childcare is just astronomical. So even if you want to go back to work, almost can't afford to have one person both parents working because one person might not even make enough to cover the childcare, especially in New York City. I lived there for 20 years and just moved to Philadelphia. And we were actually on the wait list for childcare there. And it's $1,000 cheaper here a month in Philadelphia. So, Carrie, this is interesting because we're really talking about governmental policy, right? We're not talking about individual changes. We're not saying that individuals need to change how they're doing things. We're talking about changing our country. Well, I think as a first step, having people in the leadership positions being an example and setting an example for our whole country would be a first step. So that comes from above, that comes from the government. I think that would be a great example to our whole society because, you know, our society would be stronger if we were equal. I mean, it's like two wings of a bird. I mean, if you have one wing that's stronger than the other, you're not going to fly straight. You're not going to fly strongly. So this is like super important for advancing our society. And I think people aren't recognizing that and they don't appreciate that. And people could help things, probably aren't helping it enough, I guess, namely the government would be really helpful or people in leadership in administrative positions, things like that. I also feel that there are very small things that we can all do on an individual level to help and support parents. And this is such a self-aggrandizing way to express it. But for example, I'm having a book tour event and I had a woman reach out to me on Instagram and say, hey, I would really love to come, but my husband is currently in boot camp and I just don't think I'm going to be able to have childcare. Do you mind if I bring my infant? And I was like, of course not. You can bring her. It's not, you know, if she gets fussy, step out. It's not that big of a deal. But this is a woman who wanted to come to an opportunity for an education. You know, it's going to be an event all about investing. And she felt like she didn't even have a right to be there because she wasn't sure what to do with her child. And it's being able to do something small, like say, no, bring your child so you can participate in the event. And that's a small way that we can support women and men in order to help everyone push forward. I'm really interested in this idea of how we, on a local level, especially in our community, right, the personal finance community, how we can make a difference. And I think Paul and I look at this podcast is we can be very thoughtful about what topics we cover and who we have on the podcast. Are there other things we can do in this personal finance community to locally make things better? And not just for women, but for men also to bring some sense of parity and equity. Bonnie, I know this is a little bit of a difficult question, not just in personal finance, but in medicine too. Do you think there are things we can do locally to make it better? You know, individually, it's just showing your support for someone else that might need it. You know, 
My current job isn't a great example because I work for a group, but I work by myself. So I never see the other doctors, unfortunately. But my last job where it was a department, I mean, they were actually pretty supportive of anyone having children. The department was mostly women. So it was kind of like normal for people to be out on maternity leave, but it was never like looked down upon. And I've heard of so many stories where the culture is not like that, where people are afraid to tell their boss that they're pregnant or having a baby. And I never felt like that at that job. So I just thought that was just so great for me to, you know, the first time I became a mom to have that kind of support and not worry about that. But I think it does start with you. I mean, your sort of individual attitude towards other people around you having children or family or, you know, childcare issues or just, and just being sympathetic and sort of supportive of that. Carrie, am I remembering correctly that your pediatric gastroenterology fellowship was very family friendly and in fact, were very understanding of your specific needs Does that ring true? Yeah, it it was. It was a remarkably family-friendly program. And I think it was a good example of how you can make a program in medicine, a training program in medicine, family-friendly. I mean, what they did was just, you know, if you were a working mom and you needed to be home with your kid, the attendings would support the fellows. I mean, everybody would support each other. And that's not normal in medicine, but it wasn't something that was hard for people to do. And uh, I thought it was a really healthy way to train. Wonderful. So Aaron, what I'll do here is I'll give you a chance to promote uh, what you're doing and what is up next for you. What is up next for me is my book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, A Beginner's Guide to Leveling Up Your Money. That hit shelves on April 9th and it's available nationwide, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, Indie Books, wherever you get your books. Also, ask for it at your library. I like when people can get free access to content. It's a second book in my series and I'll be traveling around the country doing educational events on investing in April and May. So please feel free to check that out at brokemillennial.com tour. And you can also find all the updates on social media, Twitter at Broke Millennial, Instagram at Broke Millennial blog. I'm very active on both. So please feel free to reach out to me there. I usually respond pretty quickly. Bonnie, I'll do the same for you. Where can we find you and what is up next for you? Yeah, so my current website is MissBonnieMD.com, but I'm actually undergoing a full rebrand and I'm rebranding to Wealthy Mom MD. And I spend most of my time in my Facebook group with the same name, Wealthy Mom MDs, which is open to any resident and attending women physicians. Obviously, the niche is for moms. So that's where I hang out. Wonderful. Thank you for coming out. Carrie. How about you? Where can we find you? And what is up next for you? Well, you can find my website at HippocraticHustle.com and my podcast is on any of your favorite podcast apps. So be sure to subscribe. Very important for everybody to subscribe to your favorite podcast, right guys? Yes. And if you want to hear more from Miss Bonnie MD and me, you can check out some of our episodes we actually do together. And uh, those are really fun episodes. So they're called the Friends Talk Finance episodes of the Hippocratic Hustle. So look for those. So Paul, I like this discussion about equity versus equality. I think if you asked anyone in today's society, they would say that we're getting better with equality, but we haven't got there yet, right? So Mm -hmm. there is a gender pay gap. Clearly, women are struggling still to get the highest echelon of jobs. We still haven't had a woman president. But to me, equity is also an interesting question. So equality is giving men and women the same thing. Equity is giving people what they need. And what men need in the workplace and what women need in the workplace 
is sometimes different. So to say that we are giving equality sounds great, but men don't necessarily need the same things, for instance, that a woman who's breastfeeding needs out of the workplace, right? Right, right? So a woman who's currently breastfeeding and has come back to work needs a place to pump right? Mm -hmm. They need a place to pump breast milk so they can feed it to their baby. It's the most healthy thing to do. So men don't have that need. So it's not necessarily about equality. It's also about equity. And so the question is, how do we reach true equity? How do we give the different genders or specifically women in this case, what they need in the workplace and in society today? And the answers are difficult. I think on a personal level, we need to be aware right? Especially as men, we need to be aware that there are different needs for different types of people. And we have to accept that and celebrate it. And as a society, maybe we have to go a step further. Maybe we do need better policy. Maybe we really need as a country to look at our maternity and paternity leave. Maybe we have to look at our hiring and firing policies and what we feel is acceptable in the workplace. Because we want to say everything is okay, but that example of a woman, it being frowned upon when that woman goes to pick up her child who's sick at school, and yet a man can go to a child's athletic event and they're celebrated and patted on the back. And it's like, hey, we're celebrating you being involved in your child's upbringing. I mean, how silly is that when you look at those two situations together? It certainly is not equity. And that's really the question. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. So I loved the conclusion that pretty much all the guests came to was that it's really about supporting families. Now, how we get there is difficult, but it really does come down to a family support issue. Childcare is so incredibly important. This is something my wife has read a lot about and she shares with me how well documented it is that the lack of affordable and available childcare is holds back women trying to grow and become something more and better from their careers or their families. And that is really a big part of it. So if you wanted to take something on, that seems like that might be the place. And it was interesting that the article that I read about forecasting when we will get to gender equality is the way they put it. What they did say is that the Netherlands, which is probably as far along as anybody, they still don't have gender equality, but they projected that they would have it by 2050. I mean, it's 30 years from now, but at least they are on the path so much further. And a big reason behind that is because they have these inherent government-sponsored programs and just kind of a cultural expectation that it's okay to have your children and take care of them. Whereas it's like, it's a weird thing for us to take care of our children anymore. And that kind of harkens back to this ultimate conversation of this it takes a village. And we are a highly individualistic society, Americans, and we like to do things ourselves and we don't rely on our community the way many other cultures do. Probably more so than any other culture, we don't rely on our community. And as a result, we have a hard time asking for help and using the village. And so we have capitalized it in the fact that in order to get help, we have to hire nannies. Well, if you don't have the money to hire nannies, then what do you do? And I like this conversation about cultural expectations because I think you not only have to change policy, but we do have to change the way we think. And for men, sometimes that means we can't be patted on the back for doing what we're supposed to be doing as parents. We shouldn't be held up on a pedestal as being involved because we do the minimum required to be good parents, and we do what women have been doing forever. And I think conversely, 
women have to stop holding themselves to this impossible standard of being superwomen. And it's not their fault completely. I mean, I think we also hold them to that standard. Sure. We tell them, go ahead, be a professional as long as you make it to the PTA meeting in the middle of the day. I think that standard that is set, while well-intentioned and while many women actually meet the standard, I mean, my mother was a superwoman, right? Yeah. So after my father died, my mother took care of three kids. She went to work. She went to all of our sporting events. She supported us in every way, shape, or form, I'm hoping we don't force that on people today. As much as I look up to my mother as a superwoman, as much as I am proud of what she did for us, as an adult, as a man in the 2000s, I feel horrible that she had to be all that because she, she was a great special person either way. And now I realize that that was her lot in life because some bad things happened. But I see people nowadays, a lot of women having to do the same thing. And maybe that's not fair. And maybe for them, it's a joy and pleasure. Maybe that's just who they are. But for those who aren't, we should allow them to have a lower standard. You don't have to be the best at the workplace and the best parent and be to everything that happens at your kid's school and be there every time they get sick. You shouldn't have to do it all. And I think that goes for men and women, but I don't think we've allowed in our society for women to realize that. And I think if I can think of one thing that I can do in my life, maybe it's letting the women in my life know that I'm there, that I can step up, that they can still do the million things they do, that it's also my responsibility and that I can be the one who picks the kid up at school when they're sick and mm -hmm. that I can be the one who goes to the game and they can do what they need to do without getting so tired and burned out, which is, I think, what happens, yeah. right? Because ultimately, you can only be the amazing professional and the amazing parent and in our financial independence community, the side hustler, and you can only do so much right. before it becomes miserable. And I don't think it should have to be miserable for anyone. And I think we have to change some of the ways we look at these things. And that's what's up next. All right. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Miss Bonnie MD, also known as Wealthy Mom MD, Aaron Lowry, aka Broke Millennial, and Carrie Reynolds from the Hippocratic Hustle. Doc G and I are going live. Tune in to follow a conversation about this episode by going to the What's Up Next Facebook group and look for notification on when we go live. You must be a member of the Facebook group to be a part of the live stream. We'll discuss this episode, give you some insight on what the recordings we're currently working on, and a little sneak peek on the upcoming episodes for next week. We look forward to seeing your comments, engaging with you live on the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group. That's a wrap. Yeah, I'll apologize for those of my questions that were inarticulate. <laughs> sometimes they come out right, sometimes they don't. But Doc, uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard you say an inarticulate thing ever. Yeah, that's, well, that's you, not know. The, uh, <laughs> you, you should hear what it sounds like in my mind before oh. it comes out. To Benefits. Sorry, I'm I'm racking my brain. <laughs> there, so there, of a gender it's, specific. So, it's so bad there aren't any. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think I think it rocks being a woman. I mean, I can't imagine being a man. So. <laughs>
Or are we just so thoughtful that we got them all right? <laughs> nothing comes to mind that we'll just jump right into the question of, well, we nailed it, Doc. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, we're done. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.